Alright, good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning, good to see you all here. My name's Matt, if I've not met you before. Who is ready for the Word of God this morning? Yes, good, good. I'm excited to be preaching. I've had three weeks out of the saddle, so it's good to be back. It's good to be back. We've um, just had two weeks paternity leave with the birth of Piper Grace. It's been a great joy to uh, spend some time with the family. And uh, thank you to all of those of you who have delivered us meals and cooked us yummy food. It's been amazing, partly because we haven't had to cook, but partly because your cooking is so delicious. So thank you for those of you who have and will provide meals for our family over the next uh, two weeks and the last two weeks. Hey, happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. It's good to see you. I'm, I'm like a dad of two kids now. It's weird to say the kids instead of just one child. Um, I'm going to pray for us. We're going to go uh, Luke chapter 8. So if you've got a Bible, when you head over to Luke chapter 8 right now, I'm going to pray that God would uh, impress this word upon our hearts. Also mindful this morning that for many, Father's Day, whilst it's a day of joy and celebration for some, it's also a day of heartbreak for others whose fathers are estranged or have uh, left, uh, fathers who have been lost. So I'm going to pray for hearts that are hurting on this day as well as we come before God in His Word. So let, let me pray. Father God, we thank You for the fact that You've adopted us and called us to be Your children. And we know that today there is so much brokenness around a day like Father's Day for those who are grieving over fathers who have been taken from them prematurely, fathers who have walked away from families. And so we pray that You would comfort and be with those who, for today, is just a reminder of pain and hurt. But we do thank you for those fathers who have loved and cared for their families well, like you call them to in the Word. So we rejoice over the work that you have placed them in in their families to love, lead, serve, nurture, and protect. And Father, we pray that as we come before your Word this morning, you would give us ears to hear what you're saying to us. We pray it in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Luke chapter 8, starting at verse 1. Soon afterwards, he went through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided out of their own means. And when a great crowd was gathering, and the people from town to town were coming to him, he said in a parable, a soul went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and it grew up. It withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And he said these things. He, as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when the disciples asked him what the parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God, and the ones along the path are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who have, when they heard the word, received it with joy, but they have no root. They believe for a while and a time of testing fall away. And as for those who fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked 
by the cares and riches and pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature. As for those in the good soil, they are those who hear the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. The first job I ever had was uh, stacking shelves at Coles at um, West Penn Hills, Thompson's Corner, Coles Supermarket. And it was a good job. Worked there a couple of nights a week. And I worked there with two of my best mates, uh, Neil and James. And Neil had got the kind of the most coveted job if you were a uh, shelf stacker at Coles, and that was the fruit and veggie section. And as you know, with most supermarkets, that's the first place you walk in. You walk through those little gates, you pick up your trolley, your, your cart, and it's fruit and veggies right there. It was a cruisy section. It was the place where you got to sample some nuts and fruit as you chopped it up. It was, it was kind of like the, the place you wanted to be. But it meant that as people came in, you know, you were there and they could see you and you got asked lots of questions if you're in the fruit and veggie section. One day my friend Neil was working and this guy came up to him and he approached Neil and he said to him, Ain't And Neil was like, I'm sorry, what did you say? He said, Ain't He's like, I'm really sorry, I'm, I'm really struggling to understand what you're saying. He said, Ain't day, ain't day, ain't Dave. And he said, Oh, Dave, how you going, Dave? And walked off and kept doing his job. Now, I don't know whether it was a few moments later or the next shift or the same time next week, but he saw Dave again doing the same thing to another person. He's like, I ain't Dave. And the person said, oh, you're deaf. Let me help you. And he's like, oh, Dave is not Dave. Dave is deaf, right? And he's, he's hearing. He's just not understanding what the guy's saying. And sometimes we mishear and misunderstand because the communications are not clear. But other times we hear and don't understand for other reasons. I remember sitting in my biomechanics class. I studied exercise science at university and we had biomechanics with Raul. He was an uh, a Olympic champion weight wrestler for uh, Peru. He was a great guy and he lectured in biomechanics. Essentially it was a class on physics and I had no idea. I didn't do physics at school. I went to uni 10 years after I finished school and... I was a battler. I was sitting there. I was like really intent on listening. And he's talking about the moment arm and all this sort of stuff. I'm like, he's like, is that clear? I'm like, don't understand a thing you have said. He's like, all right, we're going to move to the theory test. I'm going to give you a problem and you're going to need to figure it out. And I would sit there. I just had no idea. I worked really hard on listening, but it made no sense to me. But I don't even know how I passed biomechanics. There's a type of hearing where you can hear but just not really understand what's being said. This morning, we're going to look at a parable. Jesus told a bunch of parables. In fact, we've got 56 parables recorded for us in the Scriptures. There may have been more that Jesus told, but we get 56 of them recorded so that we can learn from them. Now, parables aren't just earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. It's not like a cute story with a nice cute moral for your life. It's not even a simple way of explaining a complex truth. Parables, in the way that Jesus uses them, often are just as much about concealing the truth as they are revealing the truth. Jesus tells parables to get a response from people. It's not just a nice story. He wants a response from people. In fact, when people got what Jesus meant by his parables, they were often offended by what he said. The parables exposed people's hearts. They revealed the idols that people had, challenged ingrained thinking. In verse 9, Jesus actually reveals for us the reason that he uses parables. This is what it says. Check it out, verse 9. 
And when the disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Jesus tells parables to do this dual kind of paradox thing. On one hand, to conceal the truth, but on another hand, to reveal it. And so the question is, who gets the truth revealed to them? Who gets let in on the secret? Well, it's the disciples who come to Jesus and inquire of the meaning, isn't it? And he says, well, to you has been given the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God. That's why he says in the end of verse 8, to those who have ears... Let him hear. You know, Jesus isn't saying that because there's a group of people in the crowd who are earless. You're like Chopper Reed style. They've, they've got no ears left. And he's like, all right, you guys, the guys of you who have got no ears, you're excused from listening. That's not what he's saying, right? He's saying it's not about just the vibrations hitting your eardrums. It's about those vibrations reaching your heart. You see, there is a, a big difference between hearing and listening. If you're a parent, you're like, that is the truth. There's a massive difference between hearing and listening. My children have all got selective hearing. You know, there is a big difference between hearing and listening. And in this parable, this story that Jesus tells, hearing is not just a matter of ears. It's actually a matter of the heart. You see, there were many people that day who would have heard the parable of Jesus and went home to tell a family member or a friend or a brother or sister, oh, you'll never guess this story that Jesus told today. He's a farmer and he went out and he sowed his seed and some of it landed on the path and got trampled underfoot and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some of it landed on the rocky soil and it sprung up quickly, but because the soil was shallow, it died out. When the sun came out, it withered the plant and it died. And some of it fell on the thorn-infested soil and the plant grew up, but the thorns grew up with it and it choked it out and it died. But some of it landed on good soil and produced a bountiful harvest. Oh yeah, what's the story about? I don't know, it's just a good story. I mean, what do the soils represent? I don't know, I didn't bother to ask Jesus what it meant. It's just a good story and I came home and told you about it, right? So there are some who hear the story and have no understanding and then there are others who come to Jesus and inquire of the meaning. Jesus is saying, I want you to know that I speak to those who want to hear. I speak to those who want to hear from me. This parable that Jesus tells is all about how receptive our hearts are to the Word of God, to the Gospel. Jesus tells us there that the seed represents the Word of God. In chapter 8, verse 1, it says that Jesus is traveling throughout the cities and villages, preaching and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. That's the Word. He's not talking about just the Old Testament or the portion of Scripture that they had. He's talking about the Gospel here. So the seed is the gospel and the soil are people. Different types of responses to the word, to the gospel as it's sown on a spectrum of receptivity towards it. And so even here this morning, everyone in this room is somewhere on that spectrum. Some of you are hungry for the word of God and others of you just cannot wait till this sermon's done. Some of you are like the psalmist who thirst and hunger after God and others are just like, I wish he would finish so I can go have lunch and a hot chocolate because it's cold, right? All, everyone in this room is on that spectrum. I wonder where you are today. I wonder how receptive your heart is to the Word of God, whether you're prepared to listen or not. Because Jesus speaks to those who want to hear. It seems to me that um, culturally we're, we're very ready to hear from a number of sources, 
I mean, we sit down, you watch TV, you hear the message from advertising every day that you need to consume more, 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 and we go out and we do it. We buy stuff. We're, we're happy to let that speak to us and influence us. So you open any newspaper or any magazine, and at the back of the newspaper magazine, you'll find some horoscopes and star signs. And we will read those star signs in the hope that it'll show us what's going to happen the next month when we know that as you look up at the stars, the light that you see is probably about 145 billion light years old, and the stars have moved on. They're not even lined up the way that we see it. And so it doesn't even work. And yet we're willing to read and listen and let that influence our life. But my question this morning is, what if the God of the universe has spoken to us? What if God has revealed himself to us? Are we prepared to listen to what he says? There are three soil types in this parable that Jesus tells who hear but have no understanding. And there is one that hears that does have understanding. So let's, let's unpack them. The first soil type is that of the path. The farmer sows the seed. Some of it lands on the path. And the birds of the air devour it. And it's trampled underfoot. And Jesus says this is the meaning. Verse 12. This is his explanation of that. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. These people are apathetic towards the message. They may hear the message, but there's no real interest in listening. There's no desire to understand. Now, I think this type of response is the predominant response of our culture, of people in Sydney. There is an apathy, a disinterest towards the message of Jesus. If you're in circles with other pastors, pastors will always talk about Australian culture being tough soil. That's what we say. Oh, you know, where, where do you serve Jesus? I serve in Sydney. Oh, tough soil, right? That's, what, that's the language we use because this type of soil represents our city. Any talk of Jesus is, raised, is met with raised eyebrows and ridicule and formed opinions and closed minds. The message of Jesus is, for most people, completely disinteresting and irrelevant. But you know, I, I think sometimes that that people in our city are even a step behind the first soil, right? Because the first soil assumes that seed has actually been sown on the heart, that the gospel has been heard, that, that Jesus has been spoken about. And I think most people haven't really heard the message. Yeah, sure, some people have rejected some weird pseudo version of Christianity that's not even really true, like what they know from The Simpsons or what they know from some American televangelist, but, but they haven't really heard the message of Jesus. But I kind of get it. I, I, I get why people are disinterested. It's because for, for so many years and so often the church has put obstacles in the way of people hearing and understanding. I mean, we've, we've pursued people's outward morality without pursuing any inward change and, and we end up contradicting the grace that we preach. The church has been judgmental and critical and, and hypocritical and it just makes it hard for people to hear the message of Jesus. I, I get that that's hard. The message of Jesus is largely irrelevant. And, and you might be here this morning and think, yeah, that's, that's what I believe. I, I think it is irrelevant. Now, I want to give you some reasons for why I think you should listen to this message. For, for a start, if you've never read the book, it's hard to kind of criticize it, right? If I've never read um, any of Bryce Courtney's novels, I can't really write a critique on any of his novels. Right? I can't, right? It's unfair to critique a book that I haven't read. 
And so if you've never read it, I want to encourage you to read the book and listen and find out. But I've got four reasons for why I think you ought to listen to Jesus. Listen and, and read the Scriptures. The first is this. This is the world's number one bestseller. There is no other book in history that has sold more copies in more languages than this book. The second most popular book was Mao Zedong's little black book that was um, published and sold, but the Chinese government bought most of it and they're just sitting in warehouses in factories across China, right? No one ever bought the book and read it for themselves, but this book has been bought and read by more people across the globe than any other book in history. Now, if this is the book that millions and millions and millions of people are buying and reading, wouldn't you want to read it? Wouldn't you want to know what the interest is about this book? So that's the first reason I reckon you ought to listen. It's because this is the world's number one bestseller. The second reason is that this book has radically transformed people's lives. This book turned my life upside down as a 17-year-old, as I understood what Jesus was saying about grace. And it's true for nearly all of the people in this room. And if this book is radically changing people's lives, then wouldn't you want to know what it is about the content of this book that makes such a huge difference to people? It's the second reason why I reckon you should read this. And the third is, it's an intriguing read. Right? As you read some of the stuff that happens in this book, like Jesus calming storms and raising people from the dead, I mean, it's interesting, right? It's not, it's not like it's boring. Look, to be honest, there are some parts that are long and hard to read and might be boring, but maybe it's the fact that we just need to dig a bit deeper and understand a bit more. Like, we all have intentions to read through the whole Bible. We get to Numbers, and as it starts to list all of the tribes, like, oh my goodness, and we give up. But so, yeah, it can be hard work, but as we get to the New Testament, we read about the person of Jesus, it's riveting. And he claims that the things that he does and says are true. Now, if that's the case, I'd want to read that. It's a good read, but it's also a book where Jesus claims to do some radical things and be someone that is incredibly important. And so we can't just ignore this book because it claims too much for it to be ignored. And the fourth reason I think we ought to read this book is because the New Testament, at least, is, um, one of, uh, is the most historically reliable ancient text we have. More than any other ancient text in existence today, the New Testament is more historically reliable than anything we've got. According to historical uh, understanding and tradition, what you would do is gather together a number of ancient sources and use them to decipher what we know of that person to determine what goes into our textbooks and literature today. Now, if you take, for example, a person like Julius Caesar, we've got nine copies of his victories and battles in war. Nine copies that exist today of things that have been written about him. And, and that is good historical evidence for us to believe that Julius Caesar was a real man that walked the earth and fought battles and won. Now, when it comes to the New Testament, we've got 25,000 copies, more than that, copies of the life of Jesus that tell us that he was a real man that walked the earth and did and said and claimed these things. This book is the most historically reliable ancient text that we have. And so it's worth reading. It's worth reading. Well, for those of you who are here who have read this book and it has changed your life, you, you might think, well, I, I talk about Jesus, but it just seems to be met with the hard path, the heart that's not receptive 
What is it that is going to break up the hardness of the path? What is it that is going to shatter the concrete and allow the word to sink in? Well, the answer is the word of God. Remember what Jeremiah says, Jeremiah 23, 29. He says, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, like a hammer that breaks the rock into pieces? It's the word of God. It's easy to get disheartened, isn't it, at a lack of response to Jesus. We talk about Jesus and it just seems like it, it bounces off. It seems like there's, there's no receptivity to it. And, and we just think, well, maybe I need to stop sowing the seed. Or, But that, friends, that's not the answer. The solution to a hard heart is not to stop listening and stop sowing, but to pray that the Holy Spirit would soften the heart and break up the concrete so that the Word of God can sink in and find roots. We might think, well, maybe I'm not using the right seed. Maybe I need to start sowing a different seed and talking about a different message. Or, or maybe it's, it's easy to think that other methods might produce more fruit. But that's not the solution. Jesus has given us one commission. Go and make disciples of all nations by proclaiming the gospel, the good news that Jesus has died, that Jesus has risen again. Friends, we ought never to tire of sowing the seed of preaching the good news of Jesus. We need abundant sowing of the word. I mean, that, that's why I think the farmer sowed the seed on the path. Either because he's sowing to the very edges of his field and some of it spills over to the path or because he's sowing on the path in hope that that might get plowed over and, and it might produce fruit. His sowing is abundant because he wants an abundant crop. That principle of what you reap, sorry, of what you sow is what you reap is at play here. The the less we sow, the less we speak of Jesus, the fewer results we will see. But the more abundantly we sow, the more abundantly we proclaim the gospel, the more hope we have of seeing people hearing the word, finding good soil and responding to it. And so the answer is not to sow less, but more. But it still doesn't answer our question of why it is that we talk of Jesus and it seems that the eyes just glaze over and, and there's no response, there's no understanding. And the reason is that the devil is actively at work against your efforts. That's what it says there. The devil comes and takes the word away from their hearts so they cannot believe and be saved. That's why preaching the gospel like I am now or talking about Jesus to your friends is a spiritual task. It requires prayer. As I, as I come to preach the word, I need to be in prayer, praying that God would help me to speak the truth, praying that the Spirit of God would illuminate the Scriptures to your hearts and minds. It's the same for you as you talk about Jesus. It's the same for you as you come to our Sunday gatherings, as you go to gospel community. Do you come praying, God, speak to me today. I need to hear your voice. It's a spiritual activity. So that's the first soil type. The second soil type is this. It's on the rocky soil. The farmer sows the seed and some of it falls amongst the rocky soil and the seed grows up but because the, the soil is shallow, the plant dies out quickly. And Jesus says, this is the meaning of that. Verse 13. The one who, uh, and those on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while in a time of testing fall away. The posture of this response is initially good. The word is received with joy. But when pressure comes, when persecution arises, when opposition happens, the plant withers and dies because the soil is shallow. There is no roots that dig deep down into the richness and, and draw up nutrients. The heat of persecution, opposition and testing comes and the plant withers and dies. 
you know, I think these verses are a warning to those of you who are new Christians or young Christians in the faith. You need to be prepared for opposition. It will come. Jesus says it will come. And when it does come, if we don't have a strong, good theology of the character of God, that He is both good and glorious, when testing comes, we'll end up being tempted to deny one of those two things. We'll either say, well, God is not good because if He was good, He wouldn't have let this happen to me. Or we'll say, well, yeah, sure, God might be good, but He's certainly not glorious because if He was glorious, He would do something about this and He can't. He's impotent and mute and, and God is not glorious. But when we've got roots that have dug down and, and are deep and we're drawing on the character of God that despite the persecution, the testing, the suffering is both good and glorious. It allows the plant to continue to grow. Now I want to um, just point out here that I don't think Jesus here is suggesting that you can lose your faith. I know there are a number of people in this room who may wrestle with uh, personal assurance or have a soft conscience and, and you read something like this, you think, oh, maybe I'm not a Christian. I, I, I don't think Jesus is intending for you to think that. In fact, if that's the instant thought that comes in your heart as you read that, then maybe it's just the work of the devil who's trying to undermine the word of God in your heart. Because the point of this parable is that Jesus would encourage those to bear abundant fruit in their lives. And what I think Jesus is saying here is that there are some who for a while look like a Christian, but the plant withers and dies. It's a quick death. I remember the first time um, two young guys under my leadership came to know Jesus. It was my first year of youth leadership as a young 18-year-old guy. I went on youth camp, and I had two guys in my small group on that youth camp, Lee and Steve. And after a talk about Jesus, they responded to the gospel. They wanted to give their lives to Jesus. And I prayed a prayer with them after the session. And then immediately after I prayed that prayer, I opened up to James chapter 1 and I said to it, consider it, said to the guys, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance, when it is finished, makes you mature and complete. And you think, what a downer. I mean, this is a great moment. Why spoil it by warning them of something like that? Because I wanted them to know that when they went home from youth camp, they were walking into hostile territory, that there was opposition that was going to come. And I didn't want them to think that that opposition meant that God didn't love them anymore. In fact, no, it was that God was working on them to develop perseverance and that perseverance would develop maturity and completion in their faith. You know, Steve was probably around for a couple of weeks, maybe a month or two, and then the seed of opposition came, withered the plant. But Lee, on the other hand, I got to sit down with Lee last year as he's got a job as a youth pastor at a church in Epping, and he came to me and said, what do I do? I'm a youth pastor now. Can you, can you tell me what you guys have done? And it was such a joy to sit with him and, and coach him and nurture him and, and just see the work of the Word of God in his life. Lee is an example of the fourth soil type, which we'll get to in a second. But the second soil is that on shallow ground. Opposition comes, the plant dies. The third type of soil is that of the thorny soil. The farmer sows the seed and some of it lands amongst the thorns. The plant grows up, but thorns and weeds grow up with the plant and they end up entangling and choking the life out of that plant so that it dies. And the meaning is this, verse 14. This is what Jesus says that means. 
And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature. Again, the initial reception is good. There is receiving of the word, but it is revealed that other things become more important than Jesus, more important than the word. Other things become preeminent in their life. Priorities are conflicted and the word gets choked out and the plant withers and dies. You notice Jesus mentions three things there, cares, riches, and pleasures. You know, I think this is probably where, for the most part, Christians wrestle with the word of God and ways of the world. We care so much about what other people think of us. We fear the opinion of people above the opinion of God. We care about riches and a relationship with Jesus is sacrificed on the altar of career or financial security or some dream that we're pursuing. We care about pleasure where joy is found in almost everything else but our relationship with God and the blessings that he offers us and the pleasure of the Father working in our lives. This type of heart is the heart that just gets good at saying no. When the Spirit comes and convicts, no. Change this, no. Follow me, no. Be sacrificially generous, no. That's the type of heart. You know, there was a, um, another guy who was in my, my youth group growing up and um, he, he was the kind of guy that was considered the mature Christian. I mean, he was physically, he was a mature man as a teenage boy. He was physically much more mature than his peers, but spiritually it seemed he was more mature as well. He was the guy that if, if you wanted someone to just pray at a moment's notice, Jack could get up and do it. He would be asked to read the Bible all the time. In fact, he got fast-tracked into leadership earlier than his peers because he was displaying signs of maturity. But as he got to year 12, Jack was an incredibly gifted sportsman, very good rugby player, and he started training for footy and eventually footy training meant that he couldn't come to Bible study and couldn't come to youth group and was traveling and playing footy and footy became more important. And then there was all of the culture around the boys at footy about drinking and womanizing and, and eventually Jack's priorities got conflicted and this culture just choked the life out of him. And as far as I know, he doesn't know Jesus and follow him. I don't know his heart completely. It was the seed that grew up with the thorns and the weeds that choked the life out because they just get good at saying no to the scriptures. Well, the fourth type of soil is the type of soil that is receptive to the gospel, to the word of God, that hears it and holds it. The farmer sows the seed and it lands in good soil and it says it produces an abundant return, an abundant crop, a hundredfold. This is the meaning that Jesus gives to that. Verse 15. And those, as for that in the good soil, they are those who hear, sorry, they are those who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. They hear the word, they hold the word in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. It's a reminder for me of that image in Psalm chapter one of the man who is planted by streams of living water that feed and nourish the plants that it grows and bears fruit. That's the picture of this person, this type of response to the Word of God. The honest heart there. It's the heart that is real about the presence of sin in our lives and thoughts. It's not pretending that 
we're all good. The honest heart is the heart that sees spiritual deficiency and a need for grace. Holding fast to the word is the heart that just clings to the word of God, that is constantly in the word, that wants to hear from God, that is desperate to hear from God, that is thirsting after his word. It says this type of heart is the heart that produces a crop, a bountiful crop. You'll notice there that there's a type of hearing that leads to understanding and it's the type of hearing that hears the word, it penetrates the heart and it works itself out in the life. Jesus tells another parable to illustrate that exact point in verse 16. This is what he says. He says, No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under the bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will be made that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. What Jesus is saying here is that the gospel reveals, as light breaks into the darkness and shows the corners of the room, so the gospel penetrates our hearts and reveals sin and reveals brokenness and reveals idols. And Jesus is saying, take care how you hear. Take care as the Spirit convicts and prompts and changes you that you listen and do. Again, he confirms that in the last couple of verses of this section when his mother and his brothers come to him. Verse 19, this is what it says. Then his mother and brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. See, for Jesus, the defining character of people who are in the family of God is that you receive the word, you hear the word, and you do it. You put it into practice, you apply it. See, it's when the gospel hits our ears and goes down to our hearts and works itself out in our hands. Yes, that's when we know we've really heard. That's when we know we're soil number four, when we've listened well. You know, one of the core values we have at Anchor is that we want to be known not just for what we believe, but what we do. We want to be known not just for what we believe, but what we do. If, if what we say we believe in this room has no impact as we walk out these doors and live the rest of, this is 5% of our week. And if the 5% does not impact the rest of the 95, we've completely missed the point of the gospel. We've missed the point of Jesus. You know, I think um, there's a real danger for us in this. I mean, Sydney is the city this year that has received more overseas American preachers than probably any other city apart from the ones in America. But, I mean, we've had Tim Keller, Don Carson, Paul Tripp, Matt Chandler, Jeff Vanderstel, you name it. They've all come to our shores. And we can go to conferences to our heart's content and sit there and hear and hear and hear and hear and hear. And I wonder how much of it we do. We can come to our Sunday gatherings and go to our gospel communities and download podcasts and hear and hear and hear. And I wonder how much of it we actually do. If what we say we believe does not work itself out, we don't really believe it. That's the reality. We end up with a version of Christianity that knows a lot about the Bible, but never lives it. You know, when Jesus 
commissioned his disciples the end of Matthew 28. What did he say? He said, All authority is being given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and fill people with head knowledge. Is that what he said? That's not what he said. He said, Baptize them. Name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. How, how does that happen? That doesn't happen just by speaking something and not living it. It happens by a life that hears the word, hits the heart, works itself out in the hands. Friends, we need to be a church that is hungry for the word of God, that is desperate to hear from God speak to our hearts, because there are so many other things that are speaking to our hearts every week. But the reality is that we're just so busy, right? I mean, is, is that just me? Am I the only one who feels ridiculously busy? No. We're busy, right? We, we live in an era and in, in a culture where we've got more opportunity than any other generation that's gone before us. We just have so many opportunities that are open to us. And we've got no idea how to say no. We're, we're overcommitted. We're all doing too much. We're all thinking that we're going to experience every single, every single thing that comes our way and get the most out of life. And we just don't know how to say no to all these opportunities. We live in a world that is more complex than any other period of time in history. I mean, if you think back to some of the heroes of the faith who lived, say, maybe four or five hundred years ago, and you think, how did those guys spend all of that time in prayer and reading the Word? And I mean, how did Calvin come up with the institutes? I mean, that guy must have been ridiculous. But you know what? The reality is that life was just less complex for them. They didn't have to worry about mobile phone bills and insurance and and you know, utilities and, and car registration and, and filling up the car with petrol. I mean, life was just less complex. So the challenge for us, living in an era of noise and busyness, and I'm not saying that's an excuse for us. I'm saying the challenge for us is to carve out silence amidst the noise and to make time amongst the busyness and to just be still and to know God. That's our challenge. Now, I've got to admit that I've been trying to listen amidst the busyness and chaos and noise of life for too long. And it's easy to go, yeah, yeah, but I'm busy. I, we, we just started a new church. It's a lot of hard work and we've got young children. And, but in the end, it's just not an excuse. You know, you know how I know? So I always find time to do the things that I want to do. I don't know how it is, but I always find time. I always manage to have time to check both Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter before I go to bed. I always. And yet, I struggle so much to find time to spend time in the Word and listening to what God is saying to my heart. You know, I think um, for me, as I grew up as a young Christian, I, um, I read the Scriptures more out of duty than out of joy. I kid you not, there's probably a, year, a period of my life for two years where I could count on one hand the amount of times I didn't read. Every single day. I was disciplined, but you know, I can't remember any of it. It was duty. It was passionless. It was a tick box. And it led to a heart that was joyless and dry. And as Jesus has continued to soften me and grow me, I've realized that there is much joy that in this relationship, I, I want, because I love God, I want to hear Him speak into my life. But 
for some of you, you, you just don't even know where to start. You don't even know how to read this book because no one's ever told you what to do. No one's ever shown you how they read it for themselves. And so what I want to do this morning is just give you an example of how I have moved from reading this book out of duty to reading it out of joy. And the method is really corny and cheesy, but it has borne so much fruit in my life. Nothing has helped me more in my personal devotion and love of God than this method. It's called REAP or SOAP. That's the acronym. If you're a Christian, you love acronyms, right? We do acronyms really well, and so we do these things called REAP or SOAP. And this is what it stands for. Read, explore, apply, pray, or scripture, observe, apply, pray. Whatever version tickles your fancy. And this is how it works. I will open up my Bible, and I'll get to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and I'll read through chapter 3. or read through whatever section you've set aside to read for that morning or evening. And you read through it, and you just pick one verse that stands out for you. You write that verse down. That's the scripture. That's the reading. And then you begin to observe and explore some of the meaning of that verse and, and some of the things that it ties to in the verses around it. You write some thoughts down and then you begin to apply those thoughts to your heart. What does it look like for me to put this into practice in my life? And you turn those thoughts into a prayer. Very simple. You know, I can tell you what I've read years ago using that method. I can tell you what I read from Nehemiah. I can tell you what I read from Acts chapter 2. I can tell you what I read from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 as Paul prays a prayer that the word of God would speed ahead and be received and be honored because I've spent time to stop, write something down, think about it, apply it to my heart and then pray that Jesus would change me by his spirit. That's the good soil. But in the end, we will never... We will never really stop and hear if we don't carve out silence and time. My question this morning is, how's your walk with Jesus? Are you, like me, wrestling amongst the busyness to try and listen at the same time with all the other noise out there? Maybe you've just given up altogether. If that's you, then I want to encourage you to come forward for prayer at the end of this service to hit the reset button today and say, you know what, Jesus, I need you. I need your word. I want to be a better listener. I want to be a better hearer. I want to live this stuff out. God is not silent. He's speaking to us. I mean, God is speaking to us all the time in general revelation as we walk outside and we enjoy the rain as we look at the stars, but God is speaking specifically to us through the scriptures and in the person and work of Jesus through the gospel. The question is, will we have ears to hear? There's another thing that I'm also convinced of. And so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to sow the seed. I'm going to throw it out. I'm going to explain the gospel because I believe, according to Romans 10 verse 17, that faith comes from hearing and hearing comes from the word of Christ. And so friends, this is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus, that God has created people in his image and likeness. God has created people to reflect his glory back to him, but instead we've robbed him of that glory and we've lived our lives our own way, choosing to pursue our own path, our own destiny, our own choices aside from God, rejecting his rightful rule of our lives. And the scriptures tell us that as a result of that fracture of relationship that God is angry at us, rightly so. And in that anger, he will judge. The Bible calls it the fall. The, person, uh, the persons of Adam and Eve who rejected God's good rule and ate the fruit and humanity has been bent and broken ever since. 
The story of the Bible is really a story of how God is going to bring back broken people into relationship with Him again. And He does that by sending Jesus to die on the cross to take our sin, to take away the brokenness, to take away the rejection. Jesus dies on the cross, His sin nailed to His body so that we might be free, so that we might be forgiven, so that we might be given a fresh start and a clean slate. And Jesus not only takes us away our sin, but he gifts us his righteousness, his perfection, and he gives it to us so that we can no longer walk in our old ways of sin and rejection and rebellion, but walk in the freedom that he has won for us on our behalf. And the scriptures tell us that Jesus is coming back. He's gone to prepare a room for us, a place of perfection where there's no more tears or crying or mourning or sickness or death for the old order has been dealt with by Jesus raising again from the dead. And he's coming to bring all of those who have done soil number four, heard the word of God, let it hit the heart and transform their lives. And friends, if you're here this morning and Jesus hasn't done that for you, he desperately wants to move you from death to life. And that happens when you hear the word and have faith in Jesus. Friends, maybe this morning, it's just good to hear the gospel again, to be reminded that it's not about us. It's not about us working. It's not about us having all these efforts, these deeds that, uh, that seek God's approval. In fact, it's about us laying all of them at the foot of the cross and saying, I bring nothing. I come with empty hands. Jesus forgives. We're going to remember what Jesus has done for us now in the Lord's Supper. Either side of the stage there are two stations set up with bread and with grape juice. They're symbols of Jesus' body and his blood that were broken and shed for us for the forgiveness of sins. And we invite you during this time of worship to pause, reflect, do business with God, confess sin, maybe receive Jesus for the first time. And as your heart is ready, come forward, dip the bread into the grape juice, eat it and remember what Jesus has done for you. As I'm going to pray for us now, I'm going to invite the band to come up as we respond to the gospel. So please join me as I pray. Gracious Father, we thank you that you're a God who is not silent a God who has spoken, a God who has revealed yourself to us. And Father, we know that so often amidst the noise, we just fail to listen. And so we just want to pause now, Father, and, and listen and hear your voice. Soften our hearts towards the prompting of your spirit. Reveal sin to us. Show us by the power of the Spirit how we can put that sin to death and walk in freedom and grace. Father, for those who are feeling dry at the moment, encourage their hearts that in your word there is riches and joy. There is life. And would we come to you, Father, not seeking to perform a duty, but seeking to love you and know you. Father God, minister to our hearts this morning by these symbols of the gospel, that we are free because of what you have done and not anything that we bring to the table. Remind us of grace, impress it upon our hearts. And would we apply that to every single corner of our life? Radically change and transform us by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name.
Amen.